0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie. Welcome to the Mag Culture Podcast. I'm at Mad Culture HQ Tucked Behind the Shop in Clarkenwell, where I'm joined by our friend Liv Siddle for this 31st episode.
1: Hello.
0: Good to have you back. Thank you. But first, some Magculture news. We've just launched the Mag Culture Club, more of which later, and our live events have kicked off again. The team are in New York recently for Mag Culture Live at Ace Hotel Brooklyn where speakers from a host of local indies joined us, including Balcony, Mother Tongue, and The Paris Review. Huge thanks to all of them, the speakers, and our partners for making it such a success. For me, highlights were two pairs of magazine makers from a couple of larger magazines, Gail Bischler and Jake Silverstein from the New York Times magazine, and Mel Ottenberg and Richard Turley from Interview. Seeing pairs of collaborators speak together is always revealing. Gail and Jake were the epitome of sharp professionalism, as you'd expect from the creative director and editor-in-chief of the New York Times magazine. I can picture them confidently working together, directing their magazine to ever higher creative standards. By contrast, Mel and Richard were choppy and ad hoc, much like Interview Magazine itself. I can just as surely picture them bickering and giggling over the final running order of their pages. It's no exaggeration to say that these senior publishing figures are every bit the living embodiment of their magazines, and it was fascinating to see the different dynamics at play as they spoke. A video of the whole day of talks uh, uh, from New York is available on our Vimeo page behind a paywall. Back in London at the shop, we've just held our first live event for almost a year. Natalia Rashlin, co-founder of Mother Tongue, introduced her magazine alongside two contributors who read their texts, a nice addition to these events, which I'm sure we'll do again in the future. We'll be hearing a little bit of her talk later in this podcast. We'll also be hearing from Dave Calhoun from Time Out magazine. After 54 years of publication, the final print edition of Time Out London was published a couple of weeks back. I talked to him about the decision to end the print mag. But first, Liv, regular listeners will remember you as co-hosts for, I think it was 14 episodes we did the podcast here together. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> you thought you got away. You ran away all the way to Amsterdam.
1: I did, yes. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's nice to be back, though.
0: It's good to have you back.
1: Yeah, and you've got more listeners now. Um,
0: uh, just... yeah, well, it's been a huge success since you left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good to know. <laughs>
0: um, but, so, it's, it's really nice to have you back, particularly as you've got a magazine in hand that we're going to come and talk to in a minute, a project you've been working on. But first of all, pulled a few magazines off the shelves in the shop. You go first. You've got uh, uh, the latest copy of uh, Boys, Boys, Boys.
1: Well, yeah, I actually, well, I just came into the shop and Jeremy asked me to pick some out, but I feel a bit out of the loop at the moment. I'm not as, like, clued in, as I clued up as I once was on the magazine scene. So I picked out this one called Boys, 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 um, which is is great. I mean, it sort of does what it says on the tin. And apparently there's a fantastic, um, it's basically, how would you describe it, Jeremy? It's lots of photographs of beautiful... Naked it's, men. It's
0: it's the the male body is um,
1: the male body. Yeah. Yes, there's a feature by a photographer called Greg Gorman called "It's Not About Me," and it's photographs, I believe, from the '90s, black and white, beautiful images of the heartthrobs of the time: uh, Jared Leto, Jude Law, Brad Pitt, um, and it's these really glossy, beautiful images of them. Sort and of a these brilliant pin-ups. picture of Leo. Yeah, great picture of Leo, James Franco. Um, so, if you're interested in sort of sexy men from the 90s this is the and who's not this is the magazine for you I think it looks great and it's just really well produced it's a beautiful uh, looking magazine and it's just really well made and it looks great I'm happy to I'm really excited to sort of look into it more I've never nice, seen it before nostalgia yeah volume 4 god the whole back catalogue I can get <laughs> stuck into
0: great you <laughs> picked another one which, which we can't even fit on the table it's,
1: it's hard to describe this one it's called plethora it's about the size of a dining room table and it looks like a, a kind of portfolio that you'd take to an Art it, Foundation interview. It, it's, it's exactly huge. what it is, yes. yes and yes, then inside so. is this kind of enormous newspaper, the size of like a living room rug. And it um, it's just mad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what I like about it is, at the moment, I've just got glasses, but they don't seem to work. But I'm, I, I'm an editor and I edit text and um, every day. Day in day out on Google Docs, and I like to edit in about size 16 font because I'm blind. And this magazine is so big that it looks like they have actually used size 16. So for the first mm. time ever, I can actually read without having to squint. So there, there, great. Is, a, there is
0: a feeling that they've just they, they've taken a standard size magazine and blown it up extra big. Yeah, I mean, the type's big and everything. Yeah, but. and it's just
1: it's just so ostentatious and decadent. And I think the idea that you'd have a house big enough to house this magazine. Um,
0: is unfathomable. It's probably actually about A1 size, and, and effectively each page. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of imagery in it.
2: Yeah,
0: and it's all themed around shapes from nature. So there's snowflakes and fractals, yeah. things like this. But they're amazing images. Yeah, beautiful images. images.
1: You actually suggested that you could cut out the images and frame them, but I don't think that's what the magazine's for. I think that's just if you're trying to get some cheap art on the walls. Yes. But um, actually, it's not even that cheap, is it? The magazine's quite expensive.
0: It, <laughs> it, it's. It, I think it costs hundred and thirty pounds. Yes, yes. But <laughs> you, you've got a portfolio and, and, and a. Yes, it's you could keep things. Made. You could
1: keep things in the case if you wanted yeah, to. You yeah. could, you know, file away your enormous documents. Or
0: but if you're worried about cutting it up, you could buy two.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just why not splash out
0: it is a case of you kind of get get what you pay for and i think to make something like that is probably extraordinarily expensive so it kind of makes sense yeah but it's a lot of money
1: and i like how their tagline is culture in vivid excess
0: yes why not is, well, yeah. in, in a time of like penny pinching yeah. literally like
1: <laughs> the opposite <laughs> really
0: great love that uh, So it's really upbeat and positive and happy but at uh, uh, the other end of the scale there's a small magazine i just want to ha- highlight one one that i pulled off the shelves. OOF, the art and football magazine, um, which is actually our magazine of the month for July. Uh, and this is, as it says, it's about art and football. But well, the curious thing about this is... Well, first, first of all, it's worth noting that it, you, you might not think there's an awful lot of art about football and or a lot of interest from football in art, but actually they cross over far more than you think. This is issue nine. They've been busy... Um, publishing now for, like I don't know, four years. And um, and it's really come into its own. And it really has established that there is a big link between the two forms. But what particularly interested me about this magazine was that, well, of course, it's very upbeat and, and, and enjoying art and enjoying football, but there's a strange kind of strand running through the issue where it's quite sort of... It's quite common to find people to, talking about not liking football in it. Oh. There's, a, there's, a, there's one artist in particular, Itel Colquhoun at the back here, who, who did a painting in 1953 for a competition that the Football Association ran. And it's a very abstract image. I quite like the image. Yeah, it's but, but it's beautiful. But it's nothing to do with football that I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's kind of, but, but and it turns out she didn't really like football and wasn't particularly interested in the sport. She's just entering this competition, but there, but it's sort of there's little echoes all the way through that. And that is for me. I mean, I love football, but that's the point of football is that you do hate it as well. You, it's a it's a real it's yes. complicated. Football's complicated, <laughs> uh, more complicated than you think. Uh, so, a I, 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 uh, big fan of that magazine, and and another one actually, another games magazine is a, pro- a profound waste of time. <laughs> which if we're, which if we're talking, talking about magazine names, what a great name for a magazine about video games. It's so good. Uh, but it is, it is a, a, just a fabulous exposition on the joy of playing video games, something I've left behind me now. I haven't played video games for a long time.
1: Oh, I still play Sims a oh, lot. yeah, okay. Yeah, and Candy Crush, oh, okay, Whale okay, Trail, okay. you yeah, name yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. big into it. But also, I think a lot of people have tried to do video game magazines mm-hmm. over the years, and... That looks like it's the best one I've seen. It, it and it's really, massive.
0: It, it's a hefty thing. It's a proper kind of bookish type magazine with great illustration and great ideas throughout. And it really does bring to life. But it did take me back to one game that I used to play, Katamari Damacy, which is just the a- absolute opposite of a shoot 'em up. It is, you, you had big, this big kind of um, velcro covered object that rolls around gathering things. Basically, I'm going to leave it at that. Sounds so, great, but it's great to really be reminded of that game. Um, but but that, that stuff of those magazines. You, you've got your magazine to talk about.
1: Well, it's not just mine. It's um, it, well, it's, it's not. So no.
0: Maybe we should explain what you what, what you were doing in Amsterdam. You went to work for We Present, which is the publishing arm of We Transfer.
1: Yeah. So I am the editor there, and We Present, yeah, is is this wonderful platform, and we publish unexpected stories of creativity we publish about three a week and they're incredible collaborations with artists and writers and there's loads of creative freedom and those stories become if you use we transfer they become the kind of what we call the wallpapers that's kind of the image behind the bit where you do your loading
2: mm-hmm.
1: the idea behind it was when we present began was like to basically provide people with something to read while they were sort of downloading something and also to provide creative inspiration as a kind of thinking that creative inspiration would be a kind of like a good tool to have in your tool set as a creative, because all the people that use WeTransfer pretty much are in the creative industries and their editors and their writers and their artists and their musicians, that kind of thing. So that's why it was started. That was about four, no, about six years ago. I'm not completely sure actually. Um, I have no, no concept of time anymore whatsoever. I don't even know when this magazine was made. I think it was last year, but I think, <laughs> I think maybe it was this year. I can't even remember. Um, but then basically, the We Present magazine, um, traditionally, before I joined, was a very big publication that was almost like a kind of coffee table book, beautifully made. Um, and it had, I think I counted, 80 of the online stories kind of put into print, and it was beautiful. Um, And everyone loved it. And the reason we made it was to kind of, you know, to give out to clients and to give to people in the company and um, to kind of hand out at events and that sort of thing. So then we did make one of those when I joined uh, and I had to proof the whole thing and edit it. And it was it was very difficult. I remember being up at like 3 a.m. during the pandemic, um, smoking out the window, trying to edit these last bits of copy. It It was a real like labor of love. And it did feel a bit like we were well, we were just putting stuff from the internet into a magazine, which is obviously, it has been, that has been done before. And there's reasons why you would do that, and I understand. Um, but then we sort of, when we were looking to do another magazine, we sort of sat down and thought about what, why make a magazine, what are we doing, how we could address it. And also my, our editor-in-chief, my boss, Holly, um, she wanted to do two a year rather than one. And I was like, okay, we can't do two Stories a year with like hundreds of pages, 80 stories in there. Like, it just, we can't, we can't possibly do that. Well, I can't, well, I could, but I'm lazy. Um, so <laughs> I thought, yeah, we sort of sat around and discussed it and ended up saying, right, let's make something much smaller. And also, like, I know readers, like, I know I'm a magazine reader. I also read online. I know people's patience levels and I know what it's like to consume a magazine. And I think, giving people more, like, eight to ten stories is probably going to allow them to engage with it a bit more than giving them 80 and just being... A a bit like if you go to, like, a buffet on a cruise and you have, like, a bit of everything and you're, like, you feel a bit sick afterwards. I think if you go to a nice restaurant and they give you, like, four beautiful things, it just feels a bit better. It's a nice meal. So I think it's the same with the magazine. Um, Nothing wrong wrong with a buffet. Love a buffet. (laughs) But I think... Time um, and place. Time and a place, exactly. Um, And knowing as well that we would be giving these out at events I wanted to make sure people could carry them home in their bag and also just it's a bit overwhelming something big isn't it sometimes I mean no offence to Plethora magazine but that's not even that many pages it's probably not
0: you know I mean it's, it's huge but it's you lim- could probably, there's yeah. There's probably not many more stories than we talk about eight to eight, ten stories.
1: And then you get sort of smaller magazines that are dense, like the New Yorker. It takes you like weeks to read it, and by then there's sort of like four more on your doorstep <laughs> you've got to read. But like, I think just giving giving the readers a bit of a break, I think, is important. Well, for it's magazines. Quite, one of the
0: joys of magazines is that they're limited. Yeah, that's the point. I think. I mean, yeah. And if you try and mimic the, the online experience of endless content. It, it gets you down.
1: Yeah, and it's such a... It's, it's a thing that I don't think... It's really hard to crack. I was thinking, actually, on the way here about Pitchfork Magazine. Do you remember from, like, 2011 yeah, yeah, yeah. when Michael Renault was in charge of that? And it was, it was beautiful. And they sort of... They played on the idea that it was online content going into print. And they had, like... Remember they had that page with, like, a loading sign? Yeah, and
2: yeah.
1: It was like they were kind of taking the piss out of the fact that they were mm-hmm. doing that. But then they did change the features, and that's kind of what we decided to do with this. So with the We Present Magazine um, editorially... The decision was to kind of take, take 10 stories from the site and then take the contributors of those stories and kind of pair them up to make new stories. To kind of, um, so for example, on our cover is Little Sims, um, fantastic artist who we published, we, we worked on her debut film with her last year. And then um, also last year we published a story by this wonderful writer called Caleb Azuma Nelson. And he lives in South London. Um, and Sims is from North London, and so we have a story in the magazine, and it's basically them discussing North and South London, and it's kind of... So we take features from the website and kind of mix them up a bit. Develop it a little bit. And that means you're kind of like... I like the idea of taking an artist and a writer and being like, do you want to go and have a chat? And you get that nice... You know, you're not putting a writer in charge of that, it's just you're kind of putting people together, and then when you have a launch party, they get to meet, and it's like you're kind of... You're encouraging real-life relationships and community rather than just... Okay. Not doing that. That's that, that's what More I kind informal, of... More
0: informal. And it's, it's not like the kind of big kind of interview in a hotel room, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, I sort of wanted all the contributors in the magazine to feel like they were part of this small team in the magazine. And so also all the contributors in the magazine um, from the stories, they've all written their own columns. And um, the illustrators who illustrated some of the stories, they've illustrated different stories. And it's kind of, it's all interconnected, Having said that.
0: But then <laughs> then he had another idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So then um so that's inside the magazine. And then we had a chat with um our the company's design director Hugo Tim, who was great. Um he's very um very good ideas person. He sort of thinks in a really wonderful way. Um and we sort of took this idea to him and said Look, how can we make this magazine interesting and stuff and he came back and he was like he was sort of looking at We Present and he he knows how global the website is and how like our main thing is trying to get as many, trying to feature as many artists from different countries as possible. Um, and so his idea was to hand the content of the magazine, these 10 stories, to three designers across the world and get them to design different magazines using the same content to see what would happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And obviously, when I heard that as like someone who had been up at 3 a.m. proofing, like before, I was like, God, that's gonna be such a bore ache and i was like no because you know the idea of proofing doing three, it three times over, doing it three yeah. times yeah. twice yeah. a year is like insane but um we went for it and i sort of had to say to myself that me and our proofreader Ezra who is wonderful and obsessed with perfection in terms of words I Was like, okay, we're gonna to have to just like step back a bit and be a bit loose with this because it's not going to be perfect. But that was quite cool going into it knowing that mm-hmm. this was going to be probably a ball ache and probably a bit wrong in the end, like, there's going to be lots of room for error, and we had no idea what the designers were going to do.
0: So, to be clear, I mean, you didn't just go to the three designers and ask them to design it all and then wrap it all up into one magazine, you, you've actually produced the three designs as separate magazines. It's
1: three separate magazines by three separate designers. So it was a case of... All with the
0: same content. All
1: with the same content inside, yeah. So we kind of transferred them, if you will. Uh, God. Um, A folder full of the content and just sort of said, like, there you go. Mm -hmm. There was some difficulty in that, though, because um, our commissioning editor, Suzanne, is so amazing, and she had commissioned lots of lovely visuals for some of these pieces. And seeing the designers work with that and kind of... Some pieces they could put their mark on, and some they couldn't, and that that was a really interesting kind of conversation that happened.
0: So it was the writing and the imagery and all the elements Everything, were supplied. Yeah, yeah.
1: but then um, there were a few features in there. Me and Tiff, Tiff's our music head of music, and we were wanting to do like this feature about music, and so there's an exclusive feature in the magazine called Ingredients. And I get like, you know, I, I love music and I love editorial, but sometimes I find that those long reads about how someone made an album quite a lot to digest, and it's a bit sort of mm-hmm. fluffy and stuff. So the idea with this ingredients is we go to an artist and say, can you just give us a, a list of a hundred ingredients that went into the magazine? And so um, in this issue, Japanese breakfast um, gave us a list of a hundred things that went into the making of her album, and the designers kind of. Most of them used um, kind of, like, found, like, stock imagery and sort of made these, like, mad collages and stuff. So we had to make sure there was enough stories in the magazine that they could play with yeah, and have yeah. fun with. Otherwise, it would just be... That was really interesting. Like I, I, There was a lot of things that happened that we didn't see coming, and that was good. And now we're going on to issue the next issue, and we're sort of thinking, oh, do we do we give them even more control? Do we hand the whole thing over? Do we even give them any kind of clues, or do we... Or do we try and retain what we've already commissioned? It's kind of like an interesting thing. So, there.
0: who were the three designers? Uh,
1: the three designers: uh, Nace Pra from uh, Ljubljana, Slovenia; uh, Seri Tanaka from Tokyo; and Chloe Chef, who is from uh, America, lives in Seattle. So, quite a big mix there mm. of different designers. And we kind of—I think Hugo was really keen, and I think it did happen that like the place that they live informs some of the design. And I think we did see that, especially in Seri's. Uh, magazine just kind of she like we have this big pull out piece like a, we do a feature called the manifesto and there's a big pull out poster and she sort of took that and photographed it in her local area and I think um, there's also interviews with a, with each designer in each magazine they kind of talk about their local area their community and sort of it's yeah it's meant to kind of we're putting quite a lot of emphasis on where they're from and them being in different parts of the world and just it was kind of an experiment to see if like where you live can impact how a magazine looks and I think it I think it does and it's so cool to see like Chloe Chloe's magazine is so kind of, I don't know, it's hard to explain that sort of, it's that like really polished, incredible, like uh, creative way that like sort of New York Times or kind of, yeah, it's that kind of like best of the best editorial designers. And she's so, she's so professional and so, she's obviously done this before. Um, And Nace actually, similarly, he's got so much experience in that realm, but he, where Chloe stayed quite true to, to editorial and sort of made it into very like a magazine-y magazine, um, while still pushing quite a lot of boundaries and still making it beautiful. Nace sort of was so excited by the brief and he was like, I'm going to do something completely different. And so he kind of really stripped it back and made something that was very um, unlike his previous work because he was excited by the challenge. But that was also difficult for us because we're like, you know, when we get it back, we're like, oh, it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. But that's actually that's actually part of the fun i suppose you don't really know what they're it's, going
0: to do it was a, it's a really fascinating experiment because one of the things you know i i feel strongly about and we always talk about here at MagCulture culture is the way that design can affect what a magazine is and it dictates how you approach it and how you know it obviously has a huge influence on the, on the, on the whole project and the content and everything and seeing the same content reproduced three times in such different ways is, is yeah. amazing it's it's I mean, do you regard it as a successful experiment? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Also, you know, I said at the start, I thought it was going to be a ball like It actually, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And we had this really wonderful Did week. Did you
0: work out a system? Yeah, we were like yeah. in a
1: room together the last week, you know, that really sort of like bitty week where you're doing all the final bits and the checks and stuff. And we... Um, it was me, Hugo, Lumia and um, Suzanne, and we were yeah in this room together in the office, and just kind of like sitting in this line, and we'd get the proofs back, and we'd have to Lumiere would sit there and go and change everything in each of the magazines. So rather than doing it once, you have to do everything three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. But it was just a really good. It, it went really well, and we were all mm-hmm. quite shocked that we didn't sort of I didn't try and kill each other or or just sort of <laughs> walk uh, out or something. It was it was lovely. And, and,
0: and that's the detail side of it. What about the sort of more broader? I mean, normally, you know, in a magazine, the editor and the designer will be toing and froing with ideas and sort of trying this, trying that, and the editor might say, well, "You know, you can't, you don't want to do that. It's got to be more like." That. Was yeah. There, was, was there anyone editorially? I mean, were you, were you seeing roughs and and pushing back on them, or, were no, you, we or o- Did they have a clear <laughs> run uh, at stuff?
1: We only had one feedback session with them where they proposed what they were going to do, and we were like, "Okay," but we. I think if you were making a magazine with new content new stories you might want to have control the editor might be like no it's meant to be like this but because the stories already exist on the internet yeah. you can see the original ones somewhere else so if they if they if they play around with something or that's, that's a really interesting point yeah, yeah, yeah like it doesn't really matter and so it was actually quite nice and
2: mm-hmm.
1: not to sound like really lazy but it's much less work for me because i'm like you just just have fun with it as long as it, as long as it reads you can read it mm-hmm. although you know i think um I think that's the most important thing, and as long as... It's our job to make sure that the features that we choose are ones that people are going to want to read, and so the designers, you know, it's up to them what they, what they mm-hmm. do with that. But, um, no, it was very, it was very smooth, and, and it was just really wonderful. It was great, actually.
0: Would it be unfair to ask you which one you warmed to most, which one sort of resp- you, you responded best to?
1: Yeah, and, yeah, and it is... Uh, it's, I was almost ashamed to love Chloe's The Best... Because because it's so it's so it's so perfect it's so beautiful. I've showed I've showed you know friends who don't really know about magazines that not, not, not much, and they were sort of like they were blown away by Chloe's because it is that kind of it's what they recognise as being good from you know their experience of, of of sort of massive magazines. But I think with Nace, his is so out there, and when it was coming in, I was like, oh my god, this is a bit much. But now I think Nace's is my favourite. Um, and then Ceres is so beautiful but I think I quite I was really impressed for how and I think we i think we all were impressed with how Nace did mm-hmm. push it as far as he wanted to, and he was so excited by it I don't think I've answered that very well I mean I, it's really hard it's like it's like having three little children you've got to pick your favourite I know people <laughs> say they don't have favourites and they obviously do but they're all great in different ways and there's different features in there that because they've all done it's all the same features done by different people
0: and they're cause... even they're even different running orders and everything. They had a complete free <laughs> free run. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> they they are, they are a really interesting experiment. They're, they make a really good set of, you know, you do need to see all three. How, how do people get a copy?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, we can't sell these. Like we don't sell stuff. I suppose part of the reason we started making magazines in the first place was to, was to, you know, we do so many events, like, you know, and making magazines in general is about, like, putting something into the real world. I think it's, like, most of all, little people who come into events that we hold. We mm-hmm. do so many screenings and dinners and fashion events and all, all sorts, and, like, I think it will probably be mostly through that, but we also do competitions on Instagram to get them and stuff, and also it's just kind of anyone we meet now or we want to sort of, we send them out to people or we give them to people, I think it's just going to be a kind of, like, you know, just give them out, kind of thing. Also, we're doing um, an event at at my culture right here in a you few are. weeks, um, and we'll bring lots of magazines then.
0: Um, that so yeah, is, I think July twenty first. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so anyone we'll
1: that wants that. one, who gets in touch, I think we just like, send them one. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. is quite a strange thing because we're not, it's not, we're not like trying to pedal yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's an odd one like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that sort of, if you're making a magazine, that does give you some freedom because you're not confined by trying to make it fly off the shelves you're sort of you can do something a bit more abstract because mm-hmm. you have the luxury of doing so
0: yeah i'd like to pick up on what you're saying about you know the, the the desire that brands have to make an item that they can hand over to people in real life a real life thing and there and it, previously you did a similar project with uh, rough trade the the record store and you uh, it's nice that you, there was a magazine that spun off content from the website. But the why do you think brands do and companies do like to still make a printed item to give to people?
1: I think it's 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 definitely different for every company, but I think with with the ones you've just mentioned, it's kind of proof of proof of enthusiasm. Often, it's like we're dedicated to this. But I suppose it's all, it always comes down to it's like handing someone something, and that remaining you know, if you're, if you're going to go and meet like a, a client, you know, you maybe you want to go and work with like Paul Smith. It's like you want to hand Paul Smith something that's going to stay on his desk and he's going to look at, oh, for example, like, you know, I went to the Paperboy magazine launched mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and saw um, David McKendrick, the founder of it, and it was at the Margaret Howell store. And because um, Margaret Howell had come across the magazine and she loves it so much that she was like, let's, we're going to have a party at my shop. But like it's, it's, I think it's, when you're working especially in on online as well as I do now when I kind of do both you can just feel like you're kind of shouting into the abyss and it can be it can be quite difficult to understand who you're talking to you can look at google on, analytics and think okay well you know our audience is people in their 30s um, in france and whatever i don't know you can kind of get a vague idea but you can't you can't formulate that community and when you have a magazine you can put it in someone's hands you can meet them you can at events you can you can talk to them you can open it you can look at it you can it kind of sparks a lot of conversation and when the readers then they kind of meet each other as well it kind of it's just more it's just more real and I think a lot of companies just they want to they want to have that because it's not enough to just do things online and then post about them on Instagram obviously people post about the magazines on Instagram but it's just not this is like proof of wanting to be in the real world, and it's like proof that you want to meet people and talk to people and have conversations, whereas a lot of online things doesn't really, it just doesn't necessarily spark that, and I think that's why people do it. But also, Uh, you you go to WH Smith, there's loads of branded magazines, and some of them are amazing, and I think one of the great things, um, I think for a long time, uh, people frowned on brands making magazines, because it was like, you know, it's a bit sort of like, you know, you know, like lame and um you're not being like you're not like a zine maker with your you know photocopier, you're kind of doing the absolute opposite of that and you're kind of selling out. But I've seen so many amazing magazines over the years that have been offshoots of brands and like when you've got a good team or a good editor or whatever, like if you've got a bit of money behind you you can make an amazing magazine. And that's like I think that's what a lot of what a lot that's how it's kind of going now. Like it's it's so amazing coming into this shop and seeing magazines that are independent and aren't sponsored by a brand because we know how expensive it is. We know how much time it takes. It's crazy, but I think when there is some money there, I think any company should. And I do think that you can make a good magazine out of any company.
2: Mm-hmm. Like name it yeah. like
1: Hovis, McVitie's magazine. You could do anything, uh-huh. and it, it would always be good because there's always a story, yeah. and there's always yeah, something exactly. you could you could make well, it well, out
0: of. But that that for, that for me is is what is why it happens is because there's always a story, and it's it's so often the story gets lost or whatever, but it, it, making something concrete like a magazine sort it, of so it puts flesh on the whole brand. It just sort of ma- makes the thing real, you know.
1: Yeah, it's like when brands do that thing like established 1785 because it's like, it makes you look like you've got history. When It's the, it's the same, isn't it? It's like, it's like making yourself official. We're so good and we're so official. We've gone to the effort of making this. There's probably more to it than that, but maybe that's a bit cynical. I don't know, but I think um, I think any any company should, uh, apart from you know, obviously it's bad for the trees and that, but <laughs> good for your shop though.
0: Make it well enough; it's going to be kept. That's the point.
1: Exactly. Yeah, or at least recyclable.
0: And issue two is going to be coming.
1: It's actually issue five because we started we'll the from the previous ones,
0: but issue two of this kind of project where you, you've you got th- three more designers lined yeah, up three yeah. different designers okay.
1: um, Hugo has put together a list and we'll be looking at that um, soon and choosing the designers which is very exciting again people from all over the world in different places <laughs> yeah it's going to be great and I think we're going to also change up the features a bit I need to put a few more I think some of the feedback from the first one was that like there's quite a lot of like long articles in there, and I agree. Like, you mm-hmm. don't need long articles mm-hmm. in magazines, yeah, yeah. so we're gonna sort of like maybe chop up some of the features mm-hmm. a bit and make it a bit more digestible, so you can read it quickly. Um, you always forget that, don't you, when you put articles in magazines yeah. that actually people like short ones. Yeah. Um,
0: short, long, short, long, short, long.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think yeah, lots of nice pictures and images, and also probably giving the designers um, more things to play with as well. But yeah, it should be good.
0: Great. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank Lovely you. to see you again. Nice to be back. Congratulations on the magazine. Thank you. So um, see you here on the 21st for the WeTransfer event where you will be here, I'll, I'll be here, some other people will be here talking about...
1: It's, it's going to be about uh, financing a magazine, like how to actually get mm. the money together to the finance key a magazine. Question. Yeah. The key and it's question. I know it's a boring topic, but it's the most important topic. It's so it, going I it, tell you, people, it doesn't yeah. matter
0: where or how what scale the event is that we ever do we can make it the most creatively fascinating and everybody can get really excited by the work they see and at the end you have a question and answer session and the first person puts out their hand and says, <laughs> can i talk about advertising yeah exactly uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: great well thank you again for joining us thank you see you soon <laughs> thanks again to liv siddle for joining us Um, Now, the the magazine she was talking about comes free. And there's another form of free magazine, at least here in London, uh, which has been very popular until recently, was the freebies handed out at tube stations during rush hour. They were dying before the pandemic. The pandemic really kind of saw them off. There was stylist, shortlist, enemy. they've all gone. And now Time Out has joined them. I spoke to Dave Calhoun, head of editorial for the UK and North America at the magazine. After a few reminiscences about our times there, I was art director back in the 90s, I asked him about the decision to end the print edition. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Dave. I'm oh, really happy to be here. Now, you've actually been at Time Out for
3: quite some time. I have. I joined Time Out in uh, June 2004. So this, uh, this month actually marks uh, 18 years since I uh, joined Time Out. I joined Time Out as our film editor, so film in terms of covering movies here in London, um, so largely a, job, a print job. I mean, we were just, there was a kind of rumblings of an online version of what we were doing at the time, but really it was largely a magazine job. And I spent a good seven or eight years doing that job as Time Out London film editor before moving on to other roles uh, within Time Out. Before, before that, I was, um, I was a dazed and confused magazine for uh,
0: four or five years. So quite, quite a number of years given to, to magazines and print magazines. But everything's changing now so, so tell me a bit more about what you're doing day to day now at the magazine:
3: So now day to day I head up editorial across uh, across the UK and, uh, and North America. so I mean I, I, as, as you'll know, like timeout has kind of blossomed across you know, many many cities around, around the world so we're in over 300 cities in, in some form around the globe. So I look the UK and the US are our biggest biggest markets It's where we had the most audience. And, you know, within that, London and New York are really our flagship cities. And London is still the HQ. So, I, yeah, I direct every,
0: everything across all our various platforms, all editorial. It sounds like you must very rarely get a moment's peace if, if, if every, every single time zone is represented. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, for me, it's, it's UK and, and US. So, and I, I work with... I mean, it's definitely busy, but, you know, I, I work with great, great... We work with great local editors. I mean, we're still... You you'll know from having been at Time Out London before. You know we're nothing if if we don't have local expertise and people that know their cities. Then then we're nothing. So like in you know, here in London we have a London editor, and in uh, in the in the USA we have a New York editor, a Miami editor, an LA editor, a Boston editor, uh, Chicago editor, um, and we with it's crucial. You know so you you have to you know I set I set the scene in terms of where our priorities are and. What the calendar looks like, for, but it, you know, without those those editors with their local expertise, and also editors with expertise within you know, within certain topics. So in London, we have a theatre editor, and an arts editor, and a, and a film editor. We, we're nothing. That like we have to be able to bring that local knowledge to our to our audience. So yeah, it's, it, well, I guess what I'm saying is we're a team.
0: It's not just me. No, for sure, sure, so, and a big team. But I can remember. It may, I, I was there in the in the, uh, the 1990s, shortly. A little bit before you you got involved with the uh, with the, with with the uh, publishing, the publisher, and um, you know I, I can remember the influence and the power that those editors had was vast. I mean I mean Time Out sort of ran this city in a sense. It almost kind of it powered this city. And I'm a I member of uh, Tony Elliot's memorial recently that we both attended. There was a very uh, distinct feeling of of how um, in, the, in the 70s and 80s the the magazine had almost kind of lifted up the cultural world in this city and I, you're
3: right i got that sense as well i was definitely reminded by being there at tony's memorial how i think it was alan yentop who um you know who was a friend of tony's and obviously has been you know through his work at the bbc and been a cultural figure in london you know since the 60s and he made it really really clear that there was not there was nothing like it when time out came along and there was I mean, we're we're so used now to being, know for there to be guides of what's what to see in the cinema or you know what's what's good in art galleries or what's good what's good at the theater and he I thought I thought, I just thought his he really really rammed at home that there was nothing like that you know the newspaper I mean, I'm not talk, I'm not talking from memory I'm in my 40s so I wasn't there but um you know but that it was you know you could you could you got that sense that there was there was nothing there I'm not you know, I grew up at a time when you know it was normal to pick up the you know, the Guardian had the guide within it, or you know, the Evening Standard had hot tickets within it. You know, all, all the and I remember before, long before I worked at Time Out, it was really clear to me that there were a lot of people around there thieving like the uh, that approach to Time Out, including myself actually. I, I, I remember editing, um, editing a magazine at university in the mid '90s called The Word, which was, it was a student magazine that I inherited, and you know, we redesigned it on Quark. I mean, I remember doing a terrible job and never barely used this program before like redesigning it myself and it was only like a little later on i realized that i'd basically taken the timeout model the section the sections and what they were dedicated to and you know because i'd started reading timeout as a 15 year old in london it was what would turn me turn me on to galleries and you know i would never i would never have ended up at an exhibition at the hayward coming in from the suburbs if it wasn't for timeout london but i realized that i'd I'd done that as well, like taken taken the influence
0: of Time Out and applied it to the student magazine. It did have that influence. Did can you remember the first time you ever saw a copy? I know it would have been around uh, the
3: 90, around ninety three, I think, when I started to use it for the gigs and clubs and art. And weirdly, I didn't really use it for film. Actually, <laughs> and that's, that's that's the job I ended up doing. I don't I don't remember. Thought that came a little later for me. But you know, I, I, it was definitely clubs, clubs and gigs, some arts and and some theatre as well. But I, I really can't remember what you know. It was it was yeah. It would have been like 93, 94.
0: It was just around. Well, it, well, it was part. It was everyday life. It was always around. I, mean, I remember seeing it in the library at school. They, they had some magazines, and there was this Time Out thing, which I'd never seen anything like it. It was it was you know it was back in the day when it was still quite very left-wing and very um, politically driven. And, and uh, it was a complete eye-opener. And I think that a lot of people, you know, it's, it's influenced so many people. And as you say, so many subsequent publications and listings, guides, etc., cetera, have, 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 have uh, built on, on, on that initial premise. So the big news about Time Out right now, this month, is that after 54 years of publishing, the print magazine published its last issue a couple of weeks back, which I'm sure wasn't an easy decision to take. Can you tell us about the sort of, Thinking and the sort of the planning that went into making that decision.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. It definitely wasn't a decision that came about you know, quickly, or you know, or you know, or born of a crisis or anything like that. And I think, in some ways, the you know, as someone who's been at a time out for a long time now, I think you know the the question of ooh, what what future does the magazine have within time out has, has been asked for a long time. I mean, I, I was I was at time out when. We decided to go free as a magazine in 2012, and that came about because it was it was it was clearly didn't have a future as a paid for publication. I mean, they, we, we, the magazine was uh, you know, a repository of information at that time, at a time when all that information could that could now be could be found on online, not least on Timeout's own own website. So I, I feel that there was, and then after we went free, we 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 spent a lot of time thinking about well, how, how else do we reach you know our audience or other audiences with um, everything that we do in the magazine are you showing them the best stuff in the city and so we a lot of development into our own website uh, a lot of development on social increasingly so over the years you know more lately development on video storytelling as well opening up timeout markets which we haven't yet in the UK but we have in seven cities around the world so I, I, feel, I think the there was a, definitely a sense that I'd say, although the decision was only made fairly recently, that for me there was a sense of sort of inevitability. I think. I mean, I, I remember having conversations over the years with you know with colleagues where it was like, you know, we're, we're not going to be doing this magazine forever. You know, I, you know, there's there, there's a limited shelf life because we we're you know we just the, the writing is on the wall in terms of where people are getting their inspiration to go out information and inspiration to go out and do stuff. When we came to make the decision, it wasn't really a a, a shock or a, or, any, or anything sudden, and then and then it came about. I think you know, post the pandemic, thinking, you know, where 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 do we not really where do we go next, but where where do we really put all our efforts next? Um, so it's not it's not as if we're going from being a magazine to being a digital publication. We we very much already are. And, you know, it's it's where and inevitably because of the difference between numbers of print and digital, you know, we we reach many many more people digitally, and it's. There's only so much you can do, um, and we felt, you know, it's always important. To, uh, we we feel it's important that we 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 continue to and try to reach a younger audience as well, because you know, timeouts for it's not it's definitely a broad church, but you know, we're we the core of what we do it has to be, you know, reaching people in you know from their twenties to their forties who who go out a lot, and it's you don't really need to do much market research to know that you know magazines are not where where people are getting that kind of inspiration from. Not, but I, I, mean, I make it sound like it's an e- easy decision. It's definitely not an easy decision, and it's especially when you've been doing something for for 54 years.
0: I mean, it's, you know, you really... I, I, yeah, I, I can see that. But it's, it's, it's interesting from, uh, certainly from our point of view here at MagCulture, where, you know, we're, we, we spend our time, we're busy celebrating a new generation of magazines that are opening and launching and
3: yes, on yeah. a very
0: different scale. But, but yeah. nonetheless... Um, yeah. Uh, That's what we see—a growth in in interest in that side. And and, uh, I just wonder whether, in in the crowded market that you described earlier, to so many people supplying information. I mean, we were talking about the various print products that were competing with Time Out back in the day. But now there's a lot of competition everywhere for the kind of information that you're providing. And I just wonder whether there's not, uh, to Mm. a certain degree, the print magazine wasn't the part that sort of defined the difference between Time Out and this website or that website or this. Service or that service? I think. I mean, I, I, no.
3: I think that's an interesting question, and I, there's no way I, I don't want to. I certainly don't want to disown the, you know, the, the, the magazine either. So, and I, you know, and I'd say it wasn't distinctive because you know it, it, it is and it was. But I, I, for me, what makes Time Out distinctive is the fact that we, we, we like ruthlessly celebrate cities. I mean, that's and for me, that's that. It doesn't matter whether that's in a magazine or whether it's on social or within video or on our site. And, and I do. I do. Yes, it's definitely crowded you know, in terms of people's uh, what's uh, who we're competing with for people's attention. It's you know it's very very noisy and busy out there. But I, I think you know I'm confident that we we are that we are unique in that sense. There's something celebrating cities, urban culture, going out the the positivity and the diversity of cities globally, and uh, and the interplay between them. There, I think we're we 're we're different we 're we're, we're not just another website we 're not just another social feed and and it 's definitely up to us and I think and this this you know this thinking is going on now and you know, it 's up to us you know, without having a magazine in London where you know relative relative to other cities on the timeout network you know it, it has been a big part of of, of what the brand is it 's definitely up to us to think well, how do we really double down on that on that uniqueness but but for for a generation that isn't looking for that from, or won't be inspired by that from, from by print. Um, but that, I mean, that's not to say, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not saying the magazine, you know, had a had a uniqueness. What I'm saying it's, I don't think it's what makes us
0: unique. So, so tell me, what was, you know, just describe the final issue. We, did, did did you mark the occasion?
3: We did, although we we we, we sat around and we were thinking, you know, how do we, how do we do this? You know, this is the last. Uh, you know, regular issue we 're going to put out there you know we 're leaving the door open for doing special editions uh, you know, in the future, but you know this is definitely the last regular issue of the magazine. How do we market and we, we did we decided to look forward rather than backward because we could have done uh, we, we could have made it a retrospective issue um, and we we thought well no actually we've that's something that we have done a lot. We had a fiftieth anniversary celebration not so long ago yeah and and the the uh, The death of Tony Elliott definitely, you know, asked us to look back and think about, you know, not only his his life and him founding the magazine, but you know, the history of the magazine as well. Um, and I guess also we were we were thinking about this not long after having been at the memorial for Tony Elliott as well. So we thought, you know, what this is? We should make this forward-looking. So we decided to make the theme of the the last issue, London Rising, and and focus on. It really, in a concentrated way, and what we always do, you know, th- things that are exciting us, that are bubbling up, that are new within the city. The cover feature is um, so London Rising. You know, focusing on um, people within culture, food and drink, other areas that music, other areas that we love and cover, and who's bubbling up. And then there will also a feature of love letters to London from significant Londoners, like from uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor, or Bernardine Evaristo, the novelist, or Stuart Lee, the comedian.
0: Um so we, yeah so the 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 overarching decision was to, was to look forward. Uh, and and finally Dave um you mentioned ha- you know you're looking at ways to try and uh, maintain the 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 place and reputation of timeout. So presumably you've got some new 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 ideas coming to market in terms of o- other digital services.
3: We do yeah and it's you know I think it's just it's just the stocks we're going to have to keep you know we're something we're going to have to keep developing but you know immediately we uh, this week we started sending out a daily email to uh, to our London audience. So it's called Out Here. Um, it's edited by our London editor Joe Makatich, who uh, was editing the magazine. Uh, the art director of the magazine, Brian Mays, is uh, overseeing the design of it as well. Um, so that's going to Londoners five days a week. We were previously sending out one editorial email every Thursday. Um, we're we're actually launching digital covers. From, next, uh, from June the 28th. So the first digital cover is uh, going to celebrate 50 years of pride in London. And we've we've gone back with the... One thing we did with the final issue of, of the magazine was we went back to that full-width logo there. It's, it's a, a, a kind of freshened-up version of it. And we're going to... We, we decided we were going to do that for the digital cover. And then we were like, well, let's do it for the final... Let's do it for the final mag as well. So there's a way of looking back. It's, you know... If you know, you know. I guess it's one of those things. It's not.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but it's, 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 t- tell me about digital cover. I mean, the, you know, uh, I know how how front cover designs generally. And a, a new uh, timeout's been quite active online in terms of showing the covers on Instagram, etc. So, so <clears throat> the the digital front cover, what, where does that exist, and and, and what does it represent? It, it will exist on Instagram and on our site, and it'll represent.
3: It'll be a. a, a a, a window into a big, a big project that we have online. So it could, it could, in, the, in like a traditional magazine, it could be a, an interview with someone we're excited by, or it could be a, you know more of a you know a, a seasonal moment or a guide like like 50 years and you know a guide to Pride. I'm sure this summer we'll do a digital cover on the Notting Hill Carnival, for example. So I think in the, we've been talking about the so what's the difference in terms of who we. You know what we feature on the cover, and it's the, the difference is There isn't much in some ways. Like we we've been talking, we, we already have a rough ratio, which makes it sound more scientific than it is between like personality covers and uh, you know event covers or season covers. You know, so the difference between a like best food and drink in London and a you know here's an exciting up and coming musician to so make sure that we we have a we have a good mix. We're gonna we're probably gonna have the same mix with um with the digital covers. It'll be fortnightly. Um, we we've talking about it with our uh, art director who's much closer to the covers than I am you know, there's there's a necessi- there's a necessity to be you know for it to work on a smaller screen you know because it's not just you know people whether they're looking at it on our site or on Instagram so there's there's a there's a more of a simplicity that's needed that's going to need to be there that's partly why we went back where we've gone for the for the full width logo because the, the, the corner logo once you want once you're looking at it on a on a small screen it's it's very small um, and then and then in terms of what that that cover you know leads you through to it could be we 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 we're going to mix it up between say more of a traditional interview It could be
0: a video project it could be a full on guide to to a seasonal event that's that's really interesting i mean going back to my time at the magazine uh, i i distinctly remember trying to persuade tony to return to that broad the broad right. version of the logo <laughs> oh,
3: really so um Oh I have what well, I have I have I have wondered if
0: uh yeah, yeah it's a different
3: if, if if Tony was around, but what, what what he would have thought of that. He was uh well as you would remember, but Tony was very uh very, very committed to the to to, to the design, like to the templates, to the I mean he it was he, he was uh well initially an editor and later an owner who was, you know, that that was very, very important to him.
0: So I'm sure he would have had the opinion. He had very specific <laughs> ideas for sure. <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> Great. Well, listen, Dave, thanks for joining us and explaining a little bit about what's going on. I will be following, and perhaps we catch up in a year or two and see how it's all gone. I'd love to. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. All the best. Good to meet you. Bye-bye. So, Thank you very much to Dave Calhoun for joining us. I can't help feeling timeouts drop the key element in their success. Harking back to what Liv was saying about having a, a real object, a real thing in real life that transcends the kind of the online experience Um, I just wonder whether uh, they're going to regret not keeping the print edition alive and I wonder whether there aren't somewhere in London or elsewhere uh, people planning to launch a new listings magazine uh, for our city
4: London printers Park Communications play a key part in the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams into reality. Take a look at recent issues of Mother Tongue, Alhaya, ID and Kindling to get a sense of what's possible. Very different magazines, all beautifully produced. But there's more to Park than the highest creative standards. They're also fully committed to helping you produce your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner. Check their website for details. Search Park Communications. Just like MagCulture, Park Love magazines, and we're proud to have them
2: sponsor this podcast.
0: Okay, so we don't want to end on a low with the demise of the Timeouts print edition. As I was saying to Dave Calhoun, we like to celebrate the best new magazines, and one of the best recent launches is Mother Tongue, the magazine from the US reinventing media for mothers. One of the co-founders, Natalia Racklin, spoke to a full room here at the shop recently. Here's an excerpt.
4: We talk about Mother Tongue as a mom magazine for the now, and um, this sort of tagline has actually tormented us a bit from the very start, um, and we really sort of flip-flopped about whether we wanted to call it a mom magazine at all, um, because traditionally that was something that hadn't really spoken to us as mothers. We hadn't been very uh, sort of intrigued by what we had seen. Um, and, And so we sort of made a determined decision to stick with it and see if we could change our own minds about what a mom magazine is and hopefully a few others along the way. We think of Mother Tongue as a publication for mothers who think of themselves as women first motherhood is one part of a much larger complex identity. We wanted to capture that and speak to mothers as the multifaceted women they are, not as the mommies that society projects them to be. It's an interrogation of modern motherhood and also an occasional celebration, of course, as told through stories that span art, sex, food, politics, and pop culture. It's not about kids or how to parent them. As you all probably know, there's lots of publications out there who do that and who do it well. We wanted to reverse the conversation a bit and take it back to women and the nuanced lives we are living as mothers and so many other things as well. So a bit about how it all began, just a small green germy (laughs) thing Um, and I think you know we sort of joke that there's nothing like a global health crisis to get the creative juices flowing so we found ourselves at home in the U.S. overnight Um, Melissa my partner on the magazine Melissa Goldstein I'm sure she's watching on the live so hello Um, we both have two young children Uh, we found ourselves at home full-time pausing our professional pursuits to maintain a sense of normalcy in a world that was no longer normal. In the US, the headlines abounded that mothers were in a situation in which they'd never found themselves in before, or rather, society woke up to the fact that the version of motherhood that we were living was unsustainable, and it was as if suddenly something that many of us had known for a long time was being acknowledged by society at large. So while these headlines were were going in newspapers and so forth, much of the mainstream media catering to mothers were still sort of saying, you got this mama, which is possibly the most condescending phrase ever invented. Um, And we certainly didn't have it. Um, And Melissa and I started a conversation about why wasn't there a more nuanced, honest, representative, diverse discussion happening about what it meant to be a mom in the modern world. Um, And could we create a platform where those conversations played out? And so we sort of asked, you know, this is back to the tagline and why we stuck with it. Could we reclaim the idea of what a magazine for mothers means and what it looks like, what it talks about, how it engages with mothers? So we started putting together issue one, slowly but steadily. And we wanted to sort of test the concept before we committed to it fully because launching a magazine in any time is, is never entirely sensible. Launching it in the midst of a pandemic is arguably insane. Um, so we took actually to Kickstarter. We crowdfunded the first issue um, and we launched a campaign on April 20th and it was funded within 48 hours. Over the course of the 30-day campaign, we actually doubled the funding goal, um, and we had gone out to ask, you know, our audience, is there an interest in engaging this conversation? Does anyone want this? And, you know, to our pleasant surprise, the answer was yes. And so we went to print, we produced the first issue, um, you know, not knowing sort of where it would go, um, and there it is, the first one came out in August 2021, so coming up on a year ago. In the throes of of putting issue one out into the world, um, last summer, something quite unexpected happened. Within two months, we actually sold out of the magazine, which we had not foreseen, um, which was a bit of an oh shit moment because there was four months to go until the next one. So what to do in between, which became of course Instagram, Um, a place to continue the conversation, And it's actually been really fantastic because it's an opportunity for us to have a more reactive conversation. Um, And it has grown quite steadily to something around 19,000 followers, um, growing day by day. And it's a fantastic community of really engaged, lively conversations. Um, And that's really where the magazine plays out in between the two biannual issues.
0: So thank you very much to Natalia for joining us. And if you enjoyed that snippet, you can see and hear the entire talk free via magculture.com. And lastly, after much planning, we've just launched the MagCulture Club. This pulls together the best bits of magculture the shop, our events, and more. From magazine subscriptions, shop discounts, early bird tickets, and membership newsletters, the club is dedicated to our most loyal readers and customers to help them get more out of everything we do. There are three membership levels, each one offering a different range of services and benefits. And these range from a simple shop discount and email newsletter to the regular delivery of our magazine of the month uh, and our longstanding quarterly box set of five magazines. Find out more again at magculture.com. And that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening thank you too to our guests Liv Siddle, Dave Calhoun and Natalia Racklin and thank you too to Park Communications for their support see you soon